Okay. So, we had already started talking, uh, referring to last time that we had talked about the danger of donuts, and you presented with uh, going without or denying donuts, and uh, the last thing that you said was something like that uh, the every all of my foods now have been taken away from me. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, you can see the dichotomy in there or the division that you're making in the sense that the, the food wasn't taken away from you. Oh, it was a choice. That uh, that that uh, to say that the food was taken away from you is sort of like a child talking about what the parents have done, and you also probably have heard me talk about that we have these various ego states in the mind. And that one of them is the parent and the other one is the child. And so um, what we were talking about before was seeing the danger. And so naturally the next step should be the, uh, the next set of words in the sutta uh, that the Buddha talks about it in, in the uh, sense of one can see uh, the, uh, the delight or one can see uh, uh, the sensual pleasure or one can see uh, uh, the benefit of something. But that we cannot see the danger and then the third item in is that we cannot see the escape all right so if we can see the danger you would think that by seeing the danger that the escape would be um, forthcoming immediate easy and in some cases that's true but one of the dangers that we make of it is is that um and as you were saying you bring this division in in other words if there is unity of the mind then i can see that this donut is dangerous here let us uh or therefore uh the answer is no to it but you've gone a little bit further than that. Okay, well. All right, and that is, is that you created a parent that says donuts are bad. Hmm. Okay. Well, I, the, and the so you've I, turned it into a concept. Hear me out. Okay. You've turned it into a concept. And that this is what the Buddha talks about is Silabhata Paramasa, all the rites, rules, and rituals, and you turned it, uh, this idea of what is actually dangerous, can be seen dangerous, has turned it into now a new rule. And everybody does that. 
guess what? It's not the escape. Just setting a rule because deep inside you still want donuts. In fact, you were saying that the donuts or all of my food was taken away, which means now I'm in a state of deprivation. Mm. Right? And not only is there deprivation, but there is a dichotomy that is intricately involved with that deprivation, and that is the rule that I have made saying that you cannot have that food. Okay, so now the rule or the parent ego state or our, um, uh, and this is actually quite instinctual in human beings. It goes right down to the instinctual level. What instinct is it? It's the herding instinct or the nesting instinct. Actually, it's the same instinct. There are just different ways of looking at it. But the herding instinct is when they they gather into a herd together for safety. Except, what is a nest? But they come together in safety. Yeah, that's what the whole idea of the nest is, is it that it's a, uh, an, uh, a the, the royal example of the herding instinct. Mm-hmm. Now, why am I saying that? Well, in order to be a member of the herd, you've got to go with the herd. You've got to do what you're told to do. For instance, if you're a wildebeest somewhere in the middle of this herd and the herd tends to go off in this direction, you got to go off in that direction. You cannot stand still and say, I'm going to go straight. You're in the middle of a herd. Mm-hmm. The herd's going to take you with them, right? This is what we mean by the herd mentality, that the wave of the forces of our society push us. Okay, this is in fact another word for it. Rather than herding instinct, we can call it society, that we as humans are socialized. Mm-hmm. That we're not nearly as independent as we think we are. Mm-hmm. That right down to the instinctual level, uh, that we are in fact a member of a great herd of humans. And so in the various subherds of that, like nations or cultures or within, um, uh, let's say, a city, things like this, they have different aspects of the herding mentality, but it's always the herd. Whenever a human being is a, already has become a member of the herd due to the way that the mind works, This is what the Buddha refers to as the woeful state of being an animal, of going along to getting along. Mm -hmm. So now, when you say in that one phrase, I'm having to do without the food, or the food has been taken away from me, you see, that's the herding mentality that we have within the mind. So uh, you took the word danger and turned that into a rule or a should, therefore you should not do this. And you followed along with that meekly, uh, grubbing to yourself as a victim, I've gotten all my food taken away from me. No, you didn't. 
but you can see how the mind works so that you were tricked into thinking that it was taken away from you, but it was only taken away from you from a different aspect of, of, um, of the mind, a different okay. ego state. Yeah, okay. Uh, all right. So we have the parent, the adult, and the child. Generally, the child refers to uh, the more primitive mind, that which takes delight and that which takes bad feelings. Okay, the feeling part of us, which is basically more of the uh, posterior part of the, of the brain. It's called the reptilian brain. It's called the reptilian brain because it surprisingly looks like the brain, the whole brain of an alligator. Hmm. Except that there's a bit of things that are different, and one of them is, is that the uh, cerebellum on the human is much larger than it is on the alligator. But other than that, the uh, brain parts and stems about the same. What they don't have is this higher kind of mind that does have this new kind of instinct that we generally get from um, from anim- from the mammals, except that we can say no is even more primitive than that because fish go into schools. Why do fish school together? You know why? Well, the herding instinct is. Why do fish school together? It's, uh, it has to be safer. Than being an individual. It's safe, exactly. They they school together or they herd together for safety. Mm. And then sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes schooling together, but it's instinctual. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there was an instinctual quality that comes out of that that you've got to do now what you heard from me. Uh, different use of the word heard here. Uh, what I said um, was to see what the danger in things, to be able to see the dukkha. Okay, so when we can see the danger and see it correctly, then we can be free from it. But there is this dangerous place which you've just stepped into, which I'm really glad that you did because it's very common first off and number two, we get to talk about it. Mm. Okay. That, um, but we do that on so many things. We've been told that it's bad and so now we continue to tell ourselves it's bad. Right? And then we feel bad because we can't have it. Okay, yeah. All right. This is a typical way of people behaving. This is, in fact, uh, what the Buddha would call the thicket of views, or another one would be the swamp. Mm. Okay. That it works like this. That we may, in fact, hear some very good, valuable news some good information. We take that, turn it into a rule, and then use that rule to beat up ourselves with. And who are we beating up is actually this child, the one who has the feelings. So in fact, and uh, you've heard me say this before, we 
actually talk ourselves into feeling bad. Mm. That's exactly what you've done. <laughs> I, I see that. Um, I don't think I did enough uh, justice to what actually, like what the full process is, but I agree with you. Um, cause that, that's an element, uh, to my experience, but it's also, you know, I see the danger. I see the danger in, in a lot of the, the, uh, hindrances. Uh-huh. But uh, you haven't yet seen the escape. That's the point that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay. That in, and why do I say that you haven't seen the escape is, is because you, you, <laughs> you brought in something else that was dangerous but you didn't see the danger in that. Okay. All right. It's almost like a catch-22, all right? So this kind of thought is dangerous, and I can see this kind of thought is dangerous. However, I'm going to make a rule about it. That that kind of thought is dangerous, and you cannot have that kind of thought. Mm. Therefore, when you have that kind of thought, you have to feel bad. Okay. Okay. Isn't that also dangerous? The the way I've 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 been doing it is, I see the thought, I make a rule, and that rule is to apply, you know, the technique of aversion, uh, moving attention to wholesome states. Okay. <laughs> So I, I see that I see so say anger or irritation arises. I'll see the irritation. And I'll say, okay, that is a state that's unwholesome. Let's not create any more of that. Let's try to move steer away from from that using the techniques that we've covered. Um, so I don't know if that's I don't, I don't know if that's the same or if it's if that's exactly what you're getting at. I'm careful not to create more irritation because of the thought. If that makes sense, it's um, I see the thought. I know that if I get upset or aversive towards the thought, that as well is also a hindrance. But um, when when I mentioned, uh, I started to feel more uh, almost frustrated over time, or almost like a sense of withdrawal. It feels more of as a biological state, sort of like if I were to stop doing, if I was addicted to a drug, almost if I stopped that, it would almost induce a biological state of feelings go that deep. Feelings actually are manifest and experience, and we can experience them in the body. Yes. Okay. We can do it with both good feelings and bad feelings. Mm-hmm. When uh, uh, when the football player uh, goes over the goal line, what does all of the people on his team? What does his team members do with their heart, with their hands, with their arms? They throw them up in the air. Oh, all right. So. We express our feelings with the body, and we experience our feelings within the body. Anxiety is often felt um, here 
in the chest. Um, the lion, the male lion, has a mane to protect its neck. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because uh, uh, the predators go for the jugular. And so the, uh, when two animals like lions are going to fight with each other for uh, dominance of the, of the pride, which is another herd, then uh, the one who is the least likely to have his neck bitten is the winner. Mm-hmm. So that means that the mane itself can, in fact, determine who's got the bigger mane is the one who wins um, the battle. Mm-hmm. All right. What do we do when we get angry? Is is that we tighten up, we get prepared for battle, and one of the preparations left over from in our DNA is that we get uh, the neck tense. Uh, uh, you can tell it uh, the face will get red mm-hmm. because all of the blood is uh, changing, uh, coursing around. Our fist will will tighten up. We'll get ready for battle. Okay, this is what happens in the body when we get angry. Mm-hmm. It happens slowly, but the more adrenaline that comes into the body, the more we experience these. Um, uh, changes in the body. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there is a, uh, a a major change, and in fact, if you think about it like this, the body itself, all of the neurons and everything that has anything to do with communications, both going and coming, comes into the brain stem, and then. Um, uh, Fans into the brain right there at the brainstem, which is this reptilian brain. So the body itself is controlled by the reptilian part of the brain. And so the kind of thinking that we do with the body is done with that part of the brain is maybe not so much verbal. Yeah. Also, uh, when, when we're doing uh, some things, an example would be... Um, doing math that uh, we don't even have to talk to ourselves. The thinking that a mathematician will do is the kind of thinking that does not require talking. Most of the thinking we do is with talking, but a lot of the thinking that we do is not talking. We can also go so far as to say that it's this talking part of the mind is the one that lays down all the rules. Mm-hmm. The one who is saying, um, you got to do this and you got to do that. Eric Byrne came across this uh, because actually Freud had uh, put it together. Freud's language was ego, super ego, and id, with the child being the, uh, the id and the superego, Eric Byrne called the the parent, and then the adult is what he called the ego. But now, we've gotten really confused with all of our language, like egotistical, 
an egomaniac. Actually, it's the id that has all of those things. And so it should be uh, not egotistical, but idtistical. Okay. Yeah. In the, in the realm that, um, that Byrne and Freud were using the term ego is actually the highest part of our mind. The part that can understand and see things, puts things together in a way that the other animals around us can't do. For example, a very simple one is that how you put on your shirt in the morning is almost all done physically. But the way that you learn to put on the shirt is all mental. But after you learn to do it, now it's all done almost all with the body. And you don't even have to think about putting on your shirt. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, you do. If you look closely, you think all about it. You couldn't get the shirt on if you didn't think your way through it. But you're doing it at a uh, much more primitive level, mm. almost down to the body, in the sense that even a musician, I know some musicians, they can hold a conversation while they're playing and continue to play a complex piece of music. Mm-hmm. I had a friend. Uh, when I was in the Navy, uh, and he got into the Naval School of Music, uh, but he was a student at Juilliard. He was one of the very, very best students there, and he and he was a violin player. And he'd walk down the hall, playing, um, uh, oh, concertos, mm. on the violin, while we were talking. Wow. And I've seen that in, in other places. The, the example that I will use is some uh, musician is sitting at a piano bar. Uh, uh, and he'd been sitting there playing the same 100 or 200 pieces of music over and over again for several years. And a, uh, a lady all dressed up in, in uh, evening gown comes and leans on the piano and starts a conversation with him. And he has a conversation with her without missing a note. Okay. And then uh, soon after that, two plainclothes police officers walk in and interrogate him. And he's still playing the piano while he's being <laughs> interrogated by the police. Okay. How can he do that? The answer is that his, the actual um, lessons that he has learned goes right into the hands now. That if, in fact, if he had stopped talking to the police and started thinking about the music again, he might, in fact, miss a note or two. Mm. Yeah. Good musicians know what I'm talking about, that we can get into the state of where the hands are doing all of the work. Yeah. Oh, that piece of music. All right. So there is what they call, then, muscle memory. But this muscle memory is all controlled through the reptilian part of the brain. Mm -hmm. And they work together to where thinking is done from a middle part and then higher intuitive uh, putting the uh, connecting the dots. Many different ways of talking about what real intelligence is or wisdom is really looking and seeing what's going on is often beyond words also. So, let's look at this talking part of the mind again. Mm-hmm. 
Because this talking part of the mind is you, that part which will either talk you into feeling good, that the child ego state, the body-mind complex can become relaxed and, uh, <clears throat> let us say, contented, uh, like lullaby music, like everything is being taken care of. And that is done because the apparent ego state is in what we would call nurturing parent. Okay, and that the other side of it is the critical parent. Thou shalt not have dangerous thoughts, <laughs> or in your case, no food, not now, not never. <laughs> it's an old old joke about no cookies, not now, not ever, no cookies. All right, that's always done then from the parent ego state. Okay, you can't have it. All right, and we have that. We've heard that parent ego state many times in our lives. But the most place that you've heard it the most often is when it's coming from inside your own head. But it got started from society. So we pick up our rules from society and we change it into this um set of rules or concepts or this is how things should be this is what perfection of life is and then the child feels deprived because he can't have something that he's uh, made a new rule about thou shalt not have uh, unwholesome thoughts and so then, oh, poor me, I can't have unwholesome thoughts. I recognize me. Hey, that's an unwholesome thought. <laughs> that, too, is dangerous. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's not the escape. The escape is, is to make sure that we fully understand what is the nature of suffering and that uh, what is delicious about these thoughts and can we in fact uh, take on restraint in a happy way can we be satisfied with restraining ourselves against unwholesome because that's the only escape Hmm? think about it you got to enjoy the escape yeah yeah I, I find joy in it. I, it's not, it, it's, I agree, yeah. Um, so this, okay, yeah. All right. It's also good to understand um, these three ego states from two directions. One is from the direction of neuroscience. And then the other direction is through the Dhamma, so that we can see that, in fact, the neuroscience and the, um, uh, the psychology and the Buddha's Dhamma are actually, actually in line with this. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then this stuff must be pretty good. If it comes from these diverse areas and yet it winds up being the same. So, in, in, we've already talked a bit about the psychology part, but we've also been talking about the, the neuroscience, is, is that the humans have this frontal cortex. 
-hmm. And this frontal cortex is what makes us different from all of the other animals. But one of the things that we do know about, for instance, monkeys and chimpanzees and great apes is, is that they do have language. Mm -hmm. And they have enough language to make rules. Even dogs have enough language to make rules. Mm -hmm. And so in that regard, humans are not very special when it comes to rulemaking. Languages and rulemaking is something that we share with all the other animals. What we have that's different is this higher mind of wisdom. And that's um, got a different aspect or flavor to it. But this is what we refer to then as the adult. They talk about it like in politics, uh, uh, who's the adult in the room? Mm -hmm. Okay. What do they mean by that? That's the one who actually knows what's going on. Everybody else in the room is either in one or two states. One is either they're angry or upset or feeling bad, the child, or number two, they're spouting off ridiculous uh, uh, to-do list. Thinking one thing after another, which is the parent. Oh, let's do this. Oh, let's do that. Yeah. So somebody's got to be the adult in the room. Who's the adult in the room is the one that's, wait a minute, guys. <laughs> Let's cool yeah. off and settle down and stop feeling so bad and, and, and all of that. So uh, in that regard, we have this adult. And then we have this child ego state that is um, directly coming from uh, the animals. Uh, and that this is actually the source of how we feel. This is the real me, if there is a real me, in the sense of uh, this is the self-preservation instinct. This is the area where instinctual behaviors are the strongest. Okay, okay. in this parent ego state that we're talking about, the, uh, the nesting instinct and the territorial instinct is not so strong there. But in the, in the adult, uh, instincts are very weak. Mm -hmm. But it has the ability to connect the dots, to see what's going on, to understand things directly. But we often don't use that part of the mind because that's the one that takes all the most fuel. That's right. the one that requires oxygen. That's the one that means that we've got to be alert and awake and, and uh, full of energy in order to be able to see clearly. Okay. So, last time when we were talking about uh, seeing the danger in things and using the example of donuts, when we see the danger in the donut, what are we going to do? Well, one of the things we can say is, you cannot have donuts. Thou shall not have donuts. I don't care what you want in donuts. You can't have it. Well, how long is that war inside going to last before the, the child actually does get the donut? Mm. But there's another way to go. And the other way to go is, is to continuously just see the danger in the donut. Okay. That we don't make it into this fight between the parent and the child. That's the way that we've been doing things our whole lives. 
You ought to write that email. Oh, I don't want to write that email. Oh, you got to write that email. Oh, I don't want to write that email. Mm-hmm. And we need to wake up to that kind of dialogue on the inside. Just that's dangerous. That, in fact, that dialogue that we have is often the donut mm. that is so dangerous. Okay. To be able to, um, one of two things. One is that either we can turn the dialogue around, or two, we can turn it off. Mm. Now, what we mean by turning it off means that we begin to have other kinds of thoughts. And turning it around means that we change it from being a um, a critical parent setting down the rules into a nurturing parent. Everything's going to be all right. That kind of mentality. Everything's fine. No problem. No worries, mate. Then Tyree says goodbye, goodbye. Okay, so this is the language then of the nurturing parent. And we can also think of that is the distinction then between wholesome and unwholesome thoughts is between the critical parent and the nurturing parent. And so you can nurture yourself with all those kind of thoughts are dangerous. Those donuts are dangerous. Let's not eat those. And we can say it from a nurturing position. And by doing that, we don't feel so deprived, making the deprived kind of uh, sounds that that you started up with. In fact, I think that's so beautiful. I'm really glad that you did that, because that really helps to understand how that you're actually substituting one danger for another when we do it that way. Okay. That we wind up still not feeling uh, free. We're still caught under uh, that quality of danger. But the Buddha is talking about, no, not only do we see the attraction, and then we see the danger, finally we see the release or the escape. And the escape in this case would be by using the nurturing parent mm-hmm. as opposed to the critical parent. That would be one of the ways of doing it. The other one would be to, uh, to pay no attention to those thoughts at all um, and rather have the kind of thoughts that are direct observation. In other words, be here now. Let's not think about other things, okay. rules, I shouldn't do this or whatever, but rather, this is nice. This is a nice moment. This is it. This is great. Feel the touch of the air on the arm and uh, uh, the body sitting in the chair and um, the sights and the sounds. And the breathing is so nice to breathe. Breathing is wonderful. You should try it sometime. You don't believe me, stop breathing for three or four minutes and then try it. 
I bet you'll like it that next time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. So we we should then allow ourselves to have the thoughts of being in the present moment. Because this present moment is in fact not dangerous. It's wholesome. Okay. So that's the two ways to do it. One is with the nurturing kind of thoughts. And in fact, they kind of fit together. Because if the thoughts that you're having, the nurturing thoughts that you're having, are also thoughts of how it really is in the moment, then yeah, you can talk to yourself like that. But the idea is to allow yourself to feel good, to feel relaxed, to feel out of danger. Okay. Not deprived. Mm-hmm. This is what we mean by wise restraint. Wise restraint means, oh, no place to go. I don't have to be bound to the tree to relax. Then, in fact, if uh, someone is bound to the tree, what are they most likely going to be doing some of the time? trying to get unbound from that tree. <laughs> yeah. Correct, yeah. All right, so let's not look at it as a bondage. Thou shalt not have, okay? That's just a parent, a uh, critical parent, trying to rope you in, uh, uh, tie you down, because that's the old habit that we've been trained in. Rather than, oh, you can sit down under that tree and relax. You don't have to feel like that you're bound to it. Okay. Um, when you're trying to uh, create a, a strong sort of shift in your perception or change the way you, your habits are, um, what sort of... Um, it's not a, it's not directly apparent uh, how that can unfold um, without having some some type of uh, boundary in which to to look at as a reference of like this is uh, at some level you have to know what what direction is to be followed right um, so I guess. If I understand you, it's it's more of seeing what direction, but not creating a rule or a, sort of like if, if if there's no rule or there's no um, I guess it's just, it's just a new framework that has little experiential uh, foundation. Exactly. Okay, that's the whole idea of the second fetter, is to become bound by rules free. To be free from bound by the rules, and instead we look at danger. We look at dukkha. Is this going to be dangerous or not? And mm -hmm. so we give up rules. And what you did was you you took that that concept that I gave you as dangerous and you made it into a rule. Mm. And I could have said that 
It took me 40 minutes to say that one thing. You took good advice and turned it into a rule. And we're actually in the process through Anapanasati is coming out of rules. And so I'm really glad that you did that so that you can understand that process. Mm. You turned it into a rule. Mm. And the whole idea is to come out of the rules and see as things really are so that we can see the danger and avoid the danger and we can relax safely beside it. Mm. Okay. That's the escape. Okay. Mm. Still doesn't feel that way. Um, but I'm going to reflect on, on what we're talking yes. about. You reflect upon that. You think about it. You recognize that uh, the first thing he said, in fact, the, the key to all of this is um, that you felt like all of your food had been taken away. I feel, yeah, uh, there's, there's, maybe I, maybe my experience didn't, I didn't explain it well, I, because I, I feel like there's something that maybe is not being, uh, so when, when, when that occurred, it was basically a result of having, um, began to withdraw from more just like I, I'm op I want you to correct me in this if, if, if there's a clear you know uh, ignorance here um, but so I say for example I cut off consu mindlessly consuming uh, videos on the internet and that's something that I had as a regimen in my life for, I don't know, seven, eight months, or just consistently doing that for all of quarantine. And okay. after that, you know, after a couple of days of having not done that, not doing that anymore, which is two, three hours of my day, um, because I was recognizing there was a danger in how I was, because every time I would be finished, my mind would be there would be no sati left. There, it would feel like I was just scatterbrained, and I, so I decided I was like, "This is not a this is not a wholesome activity anymore for me specifically." I'm sure, sure, some other people might find it fun, but that's not. I just don't want that anymore. So okay. after I cut that out, I sensed it was as if that source of feeding. It just felt like it was there was something missing. Not necessarily that it was a self-created. I didn't. It, it wasn't a thought process that was. Um, that was. Oh, you need to stop doing this. It was more of just. I don't have my fix, and so I was searching, searching elsewhere to figure out how can I. Like while I eat food, how can I still feel calm, or how can I feel okay in my body. Because what I what I normally do is I eat food while watching videos, and now I eat food and yeah. don't watch videos, and I feel anxious or I feel like restless, restless or restless. Yeah, that's the word. You feel restless. Yeah. And in yep. fact, that was what you were feeling that you use the videos 
Okay. Um, we'll use the word entertainment for a moment. Okay. And also in relationship to time structuring. Okay. Uh, the Buddha didn't ever talk about time structuring, but this is something that Eric Byrne did. So the question is, how do you structure your time? Or what are the various ways that humans do structure their time? Okay. One of them is in um, activity. Let me see if I can remember them. Activities, rituals, game playing, which is psychological games that uh, uh, Eric, Eric Byrne was famous for. Um, uh, pastime and intimacy. Now, the pastime, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa would refer to that as entertainment. And Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa went so far as to say that he would add time structuring or entertainment to one of the four requisites. Okay, the four requisites we already, I think, have talked about or yes. maybe not yet. Uh, just enough food. Yeah, I remember your curtains there. <laughs> just enough um, clothing, just enough shelter, just enough medicine. And Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa adds that next one of how are we going to structure our time? In the sense of just enough entertainment. Knowing that as we progress in the Dhamma, we generally go to the point of not needing so much of any of these things anymore. Mm -hmm. But what you, I think, have done is uh, kind of gone cold turkey from an addiction to YouTube to doing without altogether, and what you run into is a solid wall of uh, restlessness. Yeah. Okay. And restlessness is, in fact, that um, um, it, it, it appears and comes up and manifests itself as the hindrance of restlessness. But the deep restlessness deep inside actually comes out of fear. Okay. And so when we come to a state of not being afraid of anything, then that restlessness will also subside. And that uh, when we express this restlessness, uh, especially children, when they would say it is, well, what am I going to do with myself? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. The answer is, why do we have to do something? Hmm. And our society is, if you don't produce, if you don't do, it will be to your disadvantage. Laziness is bad, wrong, etc., like that. That even if someone in, in some religion joins that religion and becomes what they would call a contemplative or a monk or something like that, he better well be working pretty hard at it. Yes. Right. We're not going to support this monastery if those monks inside are not working really hard at it. That's how deep it's built into our culture. Mm-hmm. And for this restlessness, um, now we have two possibilities. One 
is that we can directly deal with it. Or number two, we can, uh, let us say, entertain it. Mm-hmm. And Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about that we need a mix of those two until the restlessness finally subsides. Okay. Those right. two are, you said dealing with it and entertaining it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Dealing with it directly means you can sit there and say, oh, I see that restlessness. I feel that need to go do something and want something. Yes. And yet yes. I don't really need anything, and I feel really good right now. Let me sit here and take a few deep breaths and see if that feeling of restlessness will go away and the feeling of satisfaction will return. Okay? Right here, in the sense of I'm watching a YouTube and I'm really into the YouTube and all of a sudden the power goes off or the internet goes down. Okay? And that desire for finishing and that now we can see there's the restlessness inside and we can say, oh, Never mind, when the power comes back, we can watch it until then, I'm going to enjoy it. I don't have to have that right now. Yep. So that's the way of dealing with it directly. The other one would be to actually allow yourself to become entertained, but don't have this parent ego state, yak, 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 all oh, that's bad for you, oh, you're not doing anything, because that's probably the bigger danger. Mm. Okay. The bigger danger is telling you you can't do things that you find pleasure in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So that's the way to start dealing with that um, uh, uh, the restlessness is you can either feed it or you can observe it, mm-hmm. and that you've got 24 hours a day to do one or the other of those. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Um, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> be easy on yourself. Nurture yourself. Okay. Don't be yeah. hard on yourself. You've been hard on yourself all of this time. Time to take it easy. Okay. Relax. <laughs> I, uh, I always want to do things correctly and do, do them at a, at a high level. Um, and okay, can you relax at a high level? Yeah, I think that's the attitude that needs to uh, sort of. Yeah, we won't first quality relaxation. <laughs> yeah, no, I can definitely. Uh, being hard on myself will be the challenge for me to recognize clearly and figure out how I can improve. Without doing that as a as a challenge for myself. All right. Remember, Sati, to be easy on yourself, to be nurturing, mm. to say. And when you catch yourself being hard on yourself, you say, "Aha! I see being hard. I remember doing that before." <laughs> yeah. But I don't have to. I can be easy instead. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Great. Well, right. we'll see you. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Keep going. We'll make it. (laughs) All right. Have a good day.